0: He sends out his command to the earth, and his word runs very swiftly. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Merry Christmas. Believe it or not, want it or not, it's still Christmas. Only day three, nine to go. The stretching on of Christmas into a short but full season of celebration is, let's admit, an oddity here in the 21st century. To be sure, it's a real chance to embrace for 12 full days the surprise and joy of what God has done for us in the birth of Jesus and perhaps an invitation to a challenge of festivity an Olympics of revelry. How many parties can we sustain? How many low masses? How many pious visits to the creche? How much time spent with our dear loved ones? And dare we cap it off with a raucous 12th night party, to finish the season with a bang. It's a thought that even in a normal year might sound overwhelming. And in this strange and sad time, perhaps seems not just exhausting, but downright cruel, waving the banner of communal celebration in front of our isolated faces. I'm afraid that this might not be the year for 12 nights of Christmas cheer. And yet we may still be asking ourselves, what are we to make of this season in a time such as this? Celebrating Christmas for more than one day gives us some room to consider other aspects of this holy season that we don't normally have time for, between dinner, family pictures, midnight mass, and the long-awaited opening of presents. 12 days of Christmas give us time to hear some other stories, to step back from Bethlehem and the angels, from the shepherds and the wise men, to listen for what else God might be telling us In this holy birth. The first chapter of John, John's great prologue, is such a story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. This is not just Christmas. This is Christmas and creation in the same story, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, something so divine, something so unlike us, that it's more like a sound than a thing. More like a thought than an object. A word, the word. This is, I think, how we prefer God most of the time. Abstract, not too close, at a good, safe distance. When God is just a word, we feel safe. And so to me, this story becomes quite scary when we hear, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. When God is flesh, the Word suddenly has a mouth to speak to us. The Word has eyes to see us, a nose to smell us, ears to hear us, hands to touch us. When the word is flesh, suddenly God is so close. Suddenly we are face to face with God. And what before was just a word is suddenly a human being. The word made flesh, Jesus Christ. If seeing God face to face is a scary thought to you, you're in good company. In the Old Testament, God tells Moses, "'You cannot see my face, "'for no one shall see me and live.'" And just being in God's presence so changes Moses' own countenance that he has to wear a veil when he's around other people so bright is his own face shining, like it's been imprinted by God's glory. And so while coming face to face with God is understandably a frightening thought, the scariness of the incarnation or the real surprise is not just that the sight of Jesus doesn't, turn people to cinder and ashes, but that in Jesus, God sees us. We look at God and God looks back. At Christmas, God looks back at us from the face of an infant, staring into the eyes of his blessed mother. And from this point on, for an entire human lifetime, God looks back at us from a face that we can recognize, from a face that doesn't burn our eyes, but looks like our own. God looks back at us as a child at play, God looks back at us with some words to a group of fishermen. Follow me. God looks back at us when he embraces the lepers, heals the sick, and shows mercy to the outcast. God looks back at us with tears in his eyes when his friend Lazarus dies, and with joy on his face when he welcomes the little children. And then after he's betrayed, arrested and tried, God looks back at us from the cross. It is there at the cross that perhaps for the first time we realize that in becoming flesh, the word participates not just in our birth, but in our death too. In God's dwelling among us, that abstract, untouchable word was subjected to that fact of life that you and I know only too well. When you're born into this world, there's only one way out. And so when Jesus has died on that cross, he's taken down and put in a tomb, how else can a biography end? We've been through a lot this year, joys and sorrows, exciting new births, devastating losses. This year has brought death Death on a scale and with an immediacy that we are so unused to in our time and place. In becoming flesh, Jesus shared each and every one of the triumphs and tragedies of being human. Jesus knew these things. Jesus faced these things even death. What makes Jesus' biography so strange, what makes the story of this word made flesh so surprising, so scary even, is that his death is not the end. After the suffering, after the cross, after the tomb, after all of that, God looks back at us again. Three days in the tomb, God looks back at us. After a lifetime of sharing what we have, this God to whom we have come face to face shares with us what he has. Life. Life with the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it god looks back at us from the other side of the tomb from the other side of the coronaviruses of this world from the other side of war and racism and poverty and all that seeks to destroy us. God looks back at us, takes us by the hand and lifts us, not above and away from our human mortality, from the suffering of life, but through it, through life and death, through the cross, through the pandemic, through the way that Jesus has gone a way that ends not in darkness but in light not in death but in life from the first time mary's eyes locked with her newborn son's god looked back and we were not alone Merry Christmas.